take your Bibles, turn along with me to Psalm 100. Take a little break from Ruth. And uh, with Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday, I thought I would direct our thoughts toward a psalm of thanksgiving. To give thanks to God is so important. So vital to understanding our calling as human beings, as people made in the image of God. Everything we have has come from God's good hand. And giving thanks to God should be as natural to us as breathing. And yet, so often, we don't give thanks. Complaints come much more easily to us. Recognizing what we lack or what we don't have compared with others, that is far more natural to us. We often fail to acknowledge God's goodness to us. Or we're often deluded into thinking that we have achieved what we have solely from our efforts, from our strength, from our abilities, all the while failing to realize that God is the one who gives us life and strength and ability and all that we have. Or we sometimes fail to give thanks because life is hard. And we've lost much. We've lost some of those we love. We've lost out on opportunities or or life just hasn't gone the way, the way we planned for it to. And so we don't really see ourselves sometimes as having much to be thankful for, really. Well, beloved, this morning I want to remind us all from Psalm 100 that we are all called to give thanks to God and we all have cause to give thanks to God. So let me read for us Psalm 100. Psalm 100, just five verses. A psalm of thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
how it reorients our hearts and confronts us in our stubborn rebellion and our pride. How it humbles us and breaks us under the weight of your glory and goodness. Show us afresh this morning your greatness and your goodness. Remind us of our role, our calling as human beings to give thanks and praise to the one who made us and the one who's given us life and breath and all things. Help us to fulfill the purpose for which we have been made, and that is to glorify you by giving you praise and thanks. Lord, where we have been critical of you, complaining about what we've lost or what we don't have, where we have failed to give thanks, just through busyness or forgetfulness or the pride of self-deluded independence from you, forgive us, Lord. And recenter our hearts around your word and around what is true, around reality. Wake us up to the reality of your greatness and your goodness. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to see together in Psalm 100 both the call to thanksgiving and the cause for thanksgiving. The call to thanksgiving and the cause for thanksgiving. Psalm 100 is an ancient hymn of thanksgiving. The inscription above the psalm indicates this. It is the only psalm with an inscription like this, a psalm of thanksgiving. It is known as one of the kingship psalms, picturing the Lord, Yahweh, God, as king over all, reigning over the universe, a universal king with authority over all humanity and authority over all creation, God as king. And so this psalm, Psalm 100, serves as a sort of culmination of Psalm 93 through 99, all of which focus upon the Lord's kingship. The Lord is king over all. Though the psalm was probably used in a variety of settings under many circumstances and with groups both large and small, the setting of the psalm seems to be that of a group of worshipers summoned to enter into the courts of the sanctuary of the temple with shouts of song and praise and with thanksgiving on their lips. A thanksgiving service with a thanksgiving sacrifice, like the ones detailed in Leviticus 7, would follow in all likelihood after their entry into the temple area. And so we're going to see, first of all, the call to thanksgiving. First, we have been called to thanksgiving. Everyone is called to give thanks and praise to God the King. Say, well, how does this psalm apply to me? Well, there you go. God the King. God the ruler is summoning all of creation and his special creation, human beings, to give thanks and praise to him. So if you're here this morning and you qualify as a human being, 
this psalm is directly applicable to you. Now, verses 1 through 4 are made up of seven imperative statements, seven commands. And they're commands to be obeyed. They're not suggestions. They're not opinions. They are commands given by a holy God to his people that he has made, and they are to praise and thanksgiving. A command to praise and thanks. For the purpose of clarity, I want to group these seven commands into three broad categories, because they kind of overlap. You know, this is a poem, after all, right? It's Hebrew poetry. And so these seven commands, many of them say something very similar. So I'm going to group them into three broad categories. We have the call to joyfully worship God the King. We have the call to confess God the King's authority. And we have the call to give thanks and praise to God the King. We'll go through each of those. So if you didn't catch all those, we'll, we'll hit them each way. Okay? All right, here we go. First of all, under number one, we have A, the call to joyfully worship God the King. The call to joyfully worship God the King. The psalmist begins this psalm by issuing a worldwide command for shouts of joy to the Lord. Now this is the most general of all the seven commands, seven imperatives in this psalm. It is also not followed by a corresponding parallel line, which is how Hebrew poetry typically works. There are two lines and they each say the same thing, but in slightly different ways. This command does not have a parallel. It is therefore to be seen as an initial pronouncement. All right, a header, if you will. Summoning all the earth to worship the Lord. Like the blast of a trumpet announcing the beginning of a celebration or the arrival of the king. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. The one designated here as Lord, the one to whom we are to shout joyfully, is Yahweh. Now we've seen recently that's the covenant name for God. It's the most commonly used name for God in the Old Testament. It is the personal name of God. The name of God by which he relates to his people. The name he wants them to use in their conversing and dealings with him and in his dealings with them. It is used in reference to the covenant God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, the ground of all of God's blessings to us are rooted and grounded in that covenant and, and in God himself, Yahweh. His promise to bless his people and all all nations in the Abrahamic covenant. This is to whom we are to shout joyfully. To the Lord, to Yahweh, to our God, the God of the Bible. To shout, just in case you were wondering, is not to whisper. It is not to murmur or to mumble, but it is to cry out clearly, audibly, 
in a loud voice, and it assumes some level of buy-in. Some level of excitement and enthusiasm about the subject for which you're shouting. It's a term that was used of a war cry. Let's get them. Let's go. Let's do this. No. It's a term that was used of a shout of triumph, a shout of victory, a shout of excitement that comes from accomplishing something. Now, frankly, most of us need to step it up a bit in terms of our worship of the Lord, in terms of our singing. Now, I just heard you all sing, and today was awesome. And I'm, watch, I'm looking around, you know, and I'm seeing smiles on faces, and that's awesome. Maybe it's Thanksgiving that's done this to us. But on a given Sunday, on an average Sunday, most of us need to step it up a little bit. Culturally, that's hard for us. Most of us are white Americans. And that doesn't come easy to us unless we're at a sporting event. Some reason we, we at those cultural gatherings, we transform into crazy people. But in church, we fold our hands and mumble. But it's not to be that way. We're to shout joyfully to the Lord. Thank you, Pepe. (laughs) Notice who's to shout joyfully to the Lord. Just Pepe? It is all the earth. This describes for us the universality of the command. This applies to all people. Not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles too. All people everywhere are called upon to shout for joy unto the Lord. If you are a person, you are called to shout joyfully to the Lord. That is your calling in this world. That's your calling in life. What am I here for? To shout joyfully to the Lord. That's what you were made for. That's what I was made for. This is what we are called to do, to worship God joyfully, enthusiastically. It reminds me of what took place in Luke 19. As Jesus was entering Jerusalem in Luke 19, it says, as soon as Jesus was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, which is just across from Jerusalem, you have to, the Mount of Olives is kind of on an equal elevation as Jerusalem and you go down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and back up to Jerusalem. And so as Jesus was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Listen, what they are doing is right and good. It's what they were made to do. And if they stop, the stones are going to cry out to make up for their silence. We're made for this. We're not living to the fullest of our created purpose unless we are shouting to the Lord in joy. Notice down verse 2 of this psalm. Psalm 100. That we're called to serve the Lord with gladness. Service is worship. When you're serving the Lord, you're worshiping the Lord. And we know from Romans 12 that we're, we're to give our lives in service to the Lord. Everything we do is a service to the Lord. We're, we're to view it as a service to the Lord. And therefore, everything we do is worship. We're to serve the Lord with gladness. As a slave serves his master and as a subject serves his king, so we're called to serve the Lord Yahweh, our king. And our service is to be done with gladness. Not with drudgery, not with obligation, but with a a right orientation of a heart that understands what I'm doing and who I'm doing it for and how worthy he is of my service. Next, we're called to come before the Lord with joyful singing. Literally, it says, come before his face. The king wants us to approach him with a song of joy. He has requested our presence in his presence. But he wants us to come in a certain way with joyful singing. With joy in our hearts and joy on our lips. Now this is quite a contrast from what we would see if we were to look at Psalm 99 this morning. Another kingship psalm that immediately precedes this one. In that kingship psalm, God's holiness is emphasized and therefore the emphasis is placed on our response of reverence and awe in his presence. Look at Psalm 99. You probably don't even have to turn the page. Verses 1 through 3. The Lord reigns. He rules. Let the peoples, what? Tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth, what? Shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. What we have here in Psalm 99 is an emphasis on God's transcendence, his otherness, his holiness, his greatness. And our response is one of trembling. And yet, Psalm 100 says, come singing with joy on your lips. Well, reverence and joy are not mutually exclusive responses. When you see a a being that is wholly other 
that is regaled in holiness and resplendent with glory, that's going to strike some fear in the heart. But when you know that God is good and has done everything necessary for you to enter into his presence without harm to you, indeed no harm, but only blessing and welcome and rejoicing, then we have every reason to enter, yes, with reverence and awe and wonder, but also with joy and come boldly before the throne of grace. We know that God welcomes us into his presence now and has done all that is necessary for us to come before him in all his holiness. We can do so with joy and not dread because he sent his son Jesus Christ to bear our guilt and our sin away. And that he has done fully. So come before his presence with joyful singing. All right, so we are called to joyfully worship God the King. 1B, we are called to confess God the King's authority. Look with me at verse 3, Psalm 100. Know that the Lord Himself is God. Now, verse 3 is the key to all of these seven commands of praise and thanksgiving. All right? It's the centerpiece, it's the keystone. Three commands precede this one. Three commands follow it. I'm telling you right now, that is not a mistake. That is not by chance. That did not go unnoticed by the human author nor the divine one. So this command to know that the Lord is God is central to all the other commands. All the other commands flow out of this command. You don't get to the other commands until you've understood and obeyed this one. One commentator said that this command to know that the Lord is God is the structural and theological heart of Psalm 100. So what does it mean to know the Lord, that He is God? Well, it doesn't just mean to agree with it. It doesn't just mean to give some kind of mental assent. I hear you and I don't disagree. It doesn't just mean to know that something is true. It means to know it, to believe it, to confess it, and to live it. It is to confess that the Lord is God, that Yahweh is God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who's revealed himself supremely to us in his son, Jesus Christ. It is to confess that the Lord is God and then submit your life, order your life to this truth, under this truth, by submitting your life to the Lord 
as God. To Jesus as God. To know that the Lord, He is God, is not just to confess with our mouth the truth, but it is to confess that truth with our hearts and our life as well. It is to place ourselves under God's authority and confess Him as Lord. And we know from the New Testament that it means that we confess Jesus as Lord. It is to have faith in Jesus as God's Son and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead for our sins. This is the heart of the gospel, and the gospel is the heart of our worship. You can't truly worship God and reject His gospel. You can't truly worship and give thanks to God all the while rejecting the Son He loves, the Son He sent the Son who died for you. The gospel, the good news that Jesus died for us is what makes our worship of God acceptable. It's what makes us able to enter into His presence with joyful songs. Without Jesus, we have no cause to enter into his presence with joyful songs. Rather, we should enter solely with trembling and fear and dread. We are called here to confess God the King's authority. To confess God the King's Son, Jesus, as Lord. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If we confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And we'll have eternal cause for thanksgiving and praise. Listen, this morning, I don't know where you are with all of this what you're struggling with, how life has gone for you, but I do know this, you were made to worship, to worship the God who made you. And the way to worship him, the first step in worshiping him is to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. Believe on him today. He came to this earth and died in your place and mine on the cross. A sinless substitute for sinners was Jesus. He died, was buried, rose again the third day, and now sits at the right hand of the Father, clothed in majesty and authority, and he rules and reigns as king over all. And he invites you this morning to believe on him and receive eternal life and forgiveness of every sin you've ever committed. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, 1C, the final category of call, the call to give thanks and praise to God the King. 
Look at verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. The picture here is of gates and a court. It could be a description of the temple area with gates and courts. But I think the psalmist is continuing here his kingship motif of God as king over all. And so the gates and the courts are intended as a picture of approaching and entering into the king's royal throne room, coming before his face. Our entry through the king's gates and into his court is to be with thanksgiving and praise. That is the only right approach to God. Not with complaints. Not with grumbling. But with thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving and praise are repeated refrains in the second line of verse 4. Thanksgiving and praise are what the Lord commands of us. It is what he rightfully deserves from us, as we'll see, because of who he is. To give thanks and praise to God is to express gratefulness for God's good gifts to us. To give thanks and praise to God is to express awe and wonder at who he is. What has God given us? What are some of the things we are to be thankful for? Our elder Jeff earlier did a wonderful job of reminding us of all that we're to be thankful for in his prayer. But the list is endless when it comes to the things we're to be thankful for, isn't it? As Paul summed up, In Acts 17, we're to be thankful for life and breath and all things. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Friends, that is a good and right activity that will stir our hearts toward thanksgiving and praise. Paul says that one of the marks of a generation that has forsaken God and has been forsaken of God is that they lack thankfulness. Ingratitude. A spirit of entitlement. I deserve the things I have. And in fact, I deserve better than what I have. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. And they became idolaters. Worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. Worshiping and serving stuff. Really, everything and anything but God himself who made us. In our secular, God-denying culture, Thanksgiving has to be reworked. Right? The whole 
celebration of Thanksgiving this week has to be reimagined. It will have to be, if you will, deconstructed and built back into something different, something more acceptable to our culture. I mean, just who are we to be thankful to? To whom should we give thanks and direct our thanks? Certainly not God, who's a fairy tale and a crutch for weak-minded people who only want to control others. Our culture answers the question, who should we thank at Thanksgiving by saying, we should thank ourselves. Thank ourselves for our hard work and determination, our ingenuity, our strength, our ability to get it done. We are awesome. And we should thank ourselves for being so awesome. A simple Google search will reveal the following blog titles. Give yourself thanks this Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, I'm thanking myself. Don't forget to thank yourself this Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, give yourself a big thanks. This Thanksgiving, I'm strangely thankful for me. Sometimes we make idols out of the oddest things, even ourselves. Listen, there is nothing you or I have ever done that is worthy or deserving of thanking ourselves. Everything we have is from God. Even the good things we accomplish, and we do accomplish some good things, but those things come from Him. The ability to do those good things have come from Him. It's part of His common grace. He gives us life and breath and all things. So give Him thanks and praise for it all. So that's the call to thanksgiving. And the call has gone out to all of humanity, to all the earth. A universal call because we have universally received the blessings of God in his giving us life and breath and all things. So heed the call. Do what you were made to do. Fulfill your purpose in life. By giving thanks and praise to the creator who made you. All right, secondly, we see not only the call for thanksgiving, but the cause for thanksgiving. God is deserving of this universal thanks and praise because he is an infinitely great and good king. So under two, we have A, God is an infinitely great king. His greatness as king is seen back in verse 3 of Psalm 100. Know that the Lord himself is God. 
It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He is a great king. He is a great king because he is God. He is the God king. He is one in three. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And yet, this one God is three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is great. He is great in all his perfections. He knows everything. He has all power. He is everywhere present. He is perfect in holiness and perfect in love. He is the only perfect, infinite being, and He alone has the power to create everything from nothing and give life to formerly lifeless creatures. He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. It is He who made us and we are His. God created us and gave us life. We love the illusion of independence. The idea of the self-made person. But there is no such thing. It's a mirage. No one is self-made. You didn't build that. That sound familiar? You didn't. God allowed you to do it. God gave you the idea. God gave you the ability. Gave you the energy. He gave you the daily food. He gave you the nightly sleep. He gave you all that was necessary to accomplish everything you've ever done. Same is true for all of us. There is nothing we have that hasn't been given to us. He made us. He made you. You wouldn't be if He didn't make you. And because He made us, we are His. And that is why we should confess that the Lord Himself, He is God. We belong to Him. We are His. As our Creator, He has authority over us. He has the right to call the shots. He has the right to rule over us and tell us how we're to live and what is right and wrong. But he's not just our creator, he's also, catch this, our shepherd. What language? A shepherd. He's our leader, our guide, our protector, our defender, our provider. A shepherd cares for his sheep and provides them with everything that they need. To live and thrive and flourish. And this is what God has done for every human being. From food to sleep 
to environmental conditions, and most especially to giving us the light and guidance of His Word and His Son. He's provided all that we need for life and godliness. But sadly, like sheep, we've all, what? Gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. We, the sheep, know better than the shepherd. Bah! God is an infinitely great king. He is God. He made us. We are his. He's our shepherd. We're the sheep. Don't forget who you are in, re- in relationship to who he is. He's the creator. We're the creature. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. He's an infinitely great king. To be. Or not to be. To be. God is an infinitely good king. He's infinitely good and infinitely great. Look at verse 5. For the Lord is, say it with me, good. God is good all the time. Some of you knew how to do that. God is good all the time. Amen. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, even the little ones. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Our God is good. He is a good king. He's not only great, he is good. He is intrinsically good. He is perfectly good. Everything about God can be described as good. And he is the ultimate source of everything that is good. This is an oft-repeated theme in the Psalms, that God is good. We need to be reminded of that again and again and again. When we're tempted not to give thanks to God, oftentimes it's because we doubt his goodness. When we fail to see things in our life that deserve to be given thanks for, it's often because we've doubted God's goodness. Psalm 119.68 says of God, you are good and do good. You are good and do good. Sometimes the most profound truths are the simplest and the shortest. God is good, and he does good. We serve a God who is good. He is not evil. He is not capricious. He is not unrighteous. He is not uncaring or unkind. But he is holy and completely good in all that he is and in all that he does. 
This goodness is further specified in his everlasting loving kindness in the second line. This is God's hesed, his loyal love, his irreversible, unending covenant love. And it's everlasting, this loving kindness toward us. Not only is God's loving kindness everlasting, but his faithfulness is to all generations. His faithfulness does not have an expiration date. It keeps going and going and going and going. With every new day is a new opportunity to see God's faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning, right? Great is your faithfulness. God is faithful. What does that mean? It means he can be trusted. And this ultimately goes back to his goodness, right? If he's good, if he's wholly good, if he's only and always good, can we trust him? Church, can we trust him? We can. Every single one of God's promises will be fulfilled. He always keeps his word because he's faithful. He is wholly trustworthy. God is great. God is good. He is worthy of our praise and deserving of our thanks. If God was lacking in either greatness or goodness, he would cease to be truly God. Think about that. If if God possessed all power, all greatness but was lacking in goodness, ooh, that's kind of scary. We would only know his power by way of his wrath that he would pour out on us and that we would rightly deserve. But God is not just great. God is not just all-powerful. He is also good. On the, on the reverse side, if God was loving, all loving, perfectly loving, but not powerful, if he was good, perfectly, but not great in terms of power, he would be a God with good intentions, but lacking in the ability to carry out those good intentions. He would be a God who's always wishing and wanting and longing, but never able to. To perform. Never able to carry through. But this is not our God. Our God. The God of the Bible. The God of reality. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who has revealed himself as Yahweh. The God who has revealed himself supremely in his son, Jesus Christ. Is both great and good. In all situations and at all times. And therefore, he is always deserving, always deserving of highest praise and our most abundant thanksgiving. God is worthy of thanks, yes, for what he has blessed us with. But primarily, he is worthy of our thanks and praise because of who he is. Not merely the good gifts he's given us, but the giver of the good gifts who is great and good.
and perfectly so. So give thanks to him who made us. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. God made us and we are his. And Jesus, God's son, died for us and we are his. For we've been bought with a price. God is king over all and Jesus sits at God the Father's right hand. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Jesus is the embodiment, the incarnation of God's infinite greatness and his infinite goodness. And Jesus has purchased for us the greatest gift of all for which we should give eternal thanks. And that is eternal life, which came at the greatest cost, his own blood. And when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. And beloved, this truth alone is cause for unceasing thanks and eternal praise. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us for thinking wrongly about you thinking that you weren't good or that somehow you weren't great. And the result of that is a lack of praise and thanksgiving that you rightly deserve from us. And thank you that, yes, even this sin, the failure to give thanks as we ought, is covered by the blood of Jesus. And we rest in that forgiveness. But Lord, make us who we were created to be, worshipers. Those who praise your great name. Those who give thanks unceasingly for your unceasing goodness in our lives. Thank you, Jesus for being all that we are not, for supplying all that we lack, for completing all that we left undone. We praise your glorious name for you are great and you are good, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.